You know, early on in the sabbatical time, it was, uh, it was evident people were feeling a growing sense of optimism in our culture, in our larger society, right? At least around the pandemic, even though we'd had much loss that we experienced, lost lives, lost jobs, lost confidence, loss of connection. But vaccines were readily available and transmission rates were down. We were returning to something that looked a little more like normalcy. Yet, as you know, it hasn't stayed that way. And with the arrival of these different strains, transmission rates are surging up. Hospitals are once again becoming overloaded in certain parts of our country. We're back to wearing masks now. And we're really not sure what's ahead of us over the coming months. Just as people thought the cloud was lifting and the light at the end of the tunnel could be seen, the tunnel got longer. How much longer? No one has a clue. And you can feel, you can feel the fear and the desperation. I mean, how can we live in a world with so much uncertainty? What if this is what the rest of our lives will look like? Some are just giving up, a reality that I fear will only get worse. You know, for us as people of God's kingdom, there is a way to live in times like this. There is a way to walk the wilderness, to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus to others. We can be people of hope, and we can offer that hope to all those around us. Because the Lord has made provision for us. The Lord sustains us by His own hand. He feeds our hunger. He quenches our thirst. That we may be sustained and even thrive. You know, I think, I think Elijah is a picture of this for us. And while we just have this brief passage from 1 Kings 19, we can really only get the, the story by looking at the whole section. And so I'm going to remind us of the story that I think you probably already know. So God's prophet Elijah was ministering in a time when the people of God had largely abandoned their relationship with Yahweh, and they were worshiping Baal. So to prove that there was only one true God, Elijah participated in a kind of religion Olympics with the Baal prophets. You know the outcome of this. Baal was powerless. God was shown to be true and All the prophets, the false prophets, were destroyed. This was a moment for Elijah to ride high if there ever was one. Then the queen hears of the defeat. She sends a messenger to Elijah. She says, you're dead. So this confident prophet of the one true God is filled with fear now over this threat. And he flees for his life. He goes to what really is the edge of the land. Beersheba, and then he goes further into the wilderness. So he's, he's gone as far as he can go, and then he goes, he's like off the edge of the maps. He's gone to where the dragons are. And after the events of today's passage, which we'll look at, he journeys to Mount Horeb. He journeys to the mountain of God, Sinai, the place of God's revelation, and he's still despondent. God says, uh, Elijah, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he says, oh, it's terrible, and I want to die, and I'm on my own, and nobody's, nobody's faithful. And it's there in that place that he hears the voice of God. Not in fire, not in wind, not in an earthquake, if you remember, but in Lissa Ray Beale's translation, in the sound of gentle silence. And out of this, Elijah is given a new task, including to anoint his successor, Elisha. 
You know, I think most people read uh, chapter 19, and you probably know that God's voice was not in those things, right? In the still small voice, right? And we think that's the main point of this particular passage. And certainly that's a true statement. But the real message of this passage is about a burned out, fearful, despondent prophet who is restored by God's care and compassion and fresh calling. Elijah wants out, but God will not let him go. Instead, he feeds him, and he gives him a fresh task. When the story begins, Elijah is a fugitive. As it develops, Elijah becomes a pilgrim. You know, I think we can relate to Elijah in certain ways. And we can appreciate that it's rest, sleep, and food, just simple food, that begins to do the work of restoring. Bread, water, sleep, journey. This is some of what I was able to experience over the last couple of months. Well, Jezebel's messenger is sent to Elijah to announce his death. God's messenger is sent to bring him life. So what's Elijah dealing with, really? We just want to look through this and not to analyze him too much, but just to get a a sense of where he is. Well, one is fear. He's fearful. This this fearless prophet has all of a sudden been struck with fear about the loss of his own life. He has a sense of unworthiness and failure. He says, I'm no better than my forebears. He's lonely. He tells God, I'm the only one left. And he has a loss of perspective. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't make sense on the surface, but success and accomplishment can often lead to a place of emptiness. I don't know if you've experienced that. Finishing school, getting that promotion, having a child, gaining tenure, beating a terrible disease. All these are great things, yet we know they're often followed by a letdown. We thought it would be different, we say. Well, Elijah crashes after his victory on Mount Carmel. He's he's just spent, he's empty, he's depleted. And he just can't handle the death threat right now. I thought things were getting better, we hear. I thought we were beating this virus. What if we never will? I can't cope with that. So there in his wilderness, under a solitary bush, a place where he's gone to give up, God feeds Elijah. It's simple bread. It's real food. I don't think we need metaphors here. We're talking about real food, real water. We've got a new family member. No, it's not a baby, just so you know. It is a baby, but a little black lab puppy whose name is Wally, and we love Wally, and, um, but Wally takes a lot of attention. He takes a lot of energy, and he's cut into my sleep, but I'm glad to do that. But the thing is, you know, Wally is totally dependent on us feeding him. He's not a wild animal. He can't, you know, if we don't feed him and feed him the right kind of food at the right timing, then he'll die. This is our situation before God. To know that God does feed his people. God delights in feeding his people. You know, God has always fed his people. Our first parents, they enjoyed an abundance of food. They did. Eat eat, eat wherever you want. Go anywhere except for that. Of course, you know what we did. After the flood, God's provision of food is renewed for Noah and his family. Scripture says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. 
God fed his people in the wilderness every day just enough. And I know we've, we've heard about that in recent sermons. The psalmist sings that the good shepherd sets a table before us, even in the midst of our enemies. You know, that's one of the hardest and most insecure times to take a bite for a meal. But God feeds us there. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and ultimately gives himself as food for us. And now we are looking forward to the heavenly banquet. And also he feeds Elijah. He restores his life. He gives back his perspective. He calms his fear and he cures his loneliness. He says, you know, Elijah, there are actually 7,000 who have been true to me. You're not left by yourself. And if that's not enough, he gives him a companion, Elisha. But bread was key. Bread was the turning point. God continues to feed us. Amen. Jesus gives himself, his very flesh, for the life of the world, as Alexander Schmemann says it. He is the bread of life we heard today. His life sustains us and nurtures us and heals us. And I believe we receive this life as a community, as people together in the following ways. There's four ways. We receive the food of God in our worship. We're nourished, we're sustained. God inhabits our praises, he's here to feed us. We're fed by the scriptures, and we're told to feed on the scriptures. God feeds us in the Eucharist, but also God feeds us through the community of brothers and sisters. This is where we find the strength to face uncertainty. This is where our fears are calm. This is where we know God's presence and compassion. This is where God renews us and gives us a new calling. This is where we're fed. You know, we can't read today's gospel passage without thinking of the Eucharist. That's not its only meaning, but we can't ignore that. Jesus' declaration that he's the bread of life calls us to acknowledge that he's the source, the gift of food from heaven, just like manna to give us life, the living bread. It's in this way we can only hope that the statement, we are what we eat, is true. At Redeemer, we're a community that worships in word and sacrament pulpit and table. And we see them intertwined. We would no more stop celebrating communion than we would forbid sermons. You know, we did take a break from the Eucharist for a while uh, because of the pandemic. We had to do that, but we've been finding ways to renew that and to get it to people and to celebrate it here because it's, it's one way in which we're fed in the midst of God's people. We can teach on it. We can have conversations around it. We can have studies about it, but mostly we just need to do it just like we need to eat to keep our bodies going. There's a mystery there that cannot be penetrated, but it is a truth that can be known. Author Sarah Miles shares this in her book, Take This Bread. She said, One early cloudy morning when I was 46, I walked into a church, ate a piece of bread, took a sip of wine, a routine Sunday activity for tens of millions of Americans, except that up until that moment, I'd led a thoroughly secular life at best indifferent to religion, more often appalled by its crusades. This was my first communion. It changed everything. Eating Jesus, as I did that day to my great astonishment, led me against all my expectations to a faith I'd scorned and work that I'd never imagined. The mysterious sacrament turned out to be not a symbolic wafer, but actual food, indeed the bread of life. 
in that shocking moment of communion filled with a deep desire to reach for and become part of a body, I realized that what I've been doing with my life all along was what I was meant to do, feed people. And so I did. I took communion. I passed the bread to others, and then I kept going, compelled to find new ways to share what I had experienced. And if you read about Sarah's life, you realize she established a a food kitchen and food pantry and continues to, to bring food to those who are hungry. You know, in the church, feeding, eating, is not a private matter. It's a community table. There was a restaurant we used to like to go to near Colorado Springs, and uh, in the middle of the restaurant was this long farm table. Now, they had regular like tables where families could sit or couples or whatever, but, but this community table was a place where you could sit if all the other tables were full or if you just wanted to sit with people you did not know and eat. See, this is what we do. We're fed through our relationship with others. We're refined. The edges get knocked off sometimes. We grow. We're nourished. Paul's letter to the Ephesians expresses this in a number of ways. He says, work honestly, don't talk trash, get rid of all the things that destroy community. Be compassionate and kind with forgiveness. Walk in the way of love. Our community, our proximity to others in the journey is part of the gift of God feeding us. It's not an accident that we're here together today. We need each other so that we might be sustained and that we might hear the work that God has given us to do to hear that that new assignment that God has for us in this time, that through the voice in the midst of silence, we would hear the voice that calls us to fruitfulness, not to success, which is about power, but to fruitfulness, which is about vulnerability and brokenness. You have to break the earth to plant the seed. So it is with us. On my sabbatical, I primarily did my Bible reading in the translation known as The Message. I have a copy of it. It was a Bible given to me by the vestry on my very first Sunday as rector 15 years ago. But I have to admit, I haven't spent a lot of time with it. So I did over the last couple of months. And I came across a verse in James, at least in that particular translation, that I think really feeds us in this time of uncertainty and all the grave challenges that we face. is James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Here's how it reads. It says, Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. It's characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and with honor. I think that's so important in the kind of season we're in now where we have different ideas about things. We have different ideas about wearing masks. We have different ideas about vaccines. We have different ideas about uh, how, how kids should go to school and all of that. And we have different ideas right here in this community. But we can be a community that honors God as we do the hard work of getting along, treating each other with dignity and honor. So we make peace with each other. We honor and love each other. We do the hard work of getting along, and then we come to the table together. Gordon McCoskey, in 
His article, Bringing the Body to the Table, reflects that in the distracted digital age we live in, it may be the case that the classical debates about the presence of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper have been inverted. The question with which we may have to wrestle is not, in what way is the Lord present in the Supper? Instead, the question is, in what way are we present? In what way are we present? Now I'm going to go into pastoral mode now. You know, because of the pandemic, we're a congregation in two settings. One that's physically present. I mean, that, that varies a little week to week. But another that's gathering virtually. The Lord transcends the difference and, and does do that, makes us one. But I want to gently remind us that eating is not just virtual. Eating is physical in real time. Walking with brothers and sisters and being transformed, made more like Jesus, is something that happens as we gather together physically. Serving the community around us and Highwood and beyond is something about our presence, our real physical presence. And coming to the table with others should not just be a good memory, but a present reality. Now, Hear this, I know that there are good reasons that's, that you're not, you may not be able to be here. And some may never be able to return, given health issues and other things. But I also know, and I know this from conversations, that we can fall into new patterns and habits pretty quickly, right? Sunday morning in pajamas can become the new normal. I certainly could for me. So my invitation is this. If you're able to come and be here, if you could do all that is necessary to be as safe as possible, and there are options now for that, then please come. Come to the table here. Be fed along with your brothers and sisters. And if you're not, then help us find creative ways to bring the table to you. That's how important it is. We need to be fed together. The world around us needs us to be fed so that we can be people of hope and encouragement, of care and compassion, of mercy and healing. I think it's one of the gifts of this building. There are a couple of ways to look at this. You could say, oh, we made a big mistake. You know, we bought this building, we redid it, invested the money in it, and then the pandemic came. What a big mistake. Or we can say, you know, Maybe God knew pandemic was coming. <laughs> Just possible. And has a purpose for us in being in our own place. That we might hear him, we might worship together, we might eat and feed together, and that we might serve the community from here. That's the one I vote for, actually. Get up and eat, Elijah. You need it for the journey. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.